and more. So as we prepare to receive communion today, I want to give us some instruction and cause us to think about a few things. I want us to pause and remember several things this morning. Because too often we have been amiss by not giving the proper value to what we are doing in remembering. Think about this. Jesus says, as often as you will, do this in remembrance of me. We need to remember that Jesus gave his life for us and shed his blood for us. Never forget that. When you think about your Lord and Savior, never forget that he died and gave his life for you. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. So when you're up against that prayer, when you're trying to figure out, Lord, how can I live for you? How do I say yes to you? How do I pray? Well, wait a minute. You gave your life for me. You shed your blood for me. And that's transformational when it gets down on the inside of it. We remember that he did so in such a way that we can now receive his life in us and made us able to partake once again be partakers once again of his eternal life. What does that mean? There's a reason that he said, this is my body and this is my blood. That, that he gave us the remembrance of bread and wine because we receive it and partake of it inside. God is an inside God. And he wants us to know that we are recipients of his life in us. He's not just an outside God. He isn't just dealing with all the externals of our life. He isn't just helping us get through the pressures and the trial. He's the God on the inside that wants to work a regenerating work on the inside of us and cause us to be transformed from the inside out. And when we let that transformation take place, it changes our natural world around us as well. Amen. Thirdly, that everything he declared is sealed in his blood. When you read, think about it. <coughs> Excuse me. He had had supper with them. Then he began to say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare. And if I go away, I'm coming again to receive you to myself. Every word, every promise that Jesus spoke, he sealed it in his blood upon the cross. We have a sealed word. We have a promised word. And we have a sure word. Can you say amen? That everything he declared is sealed in his blood and confirmed as an oath in a covenant to us that cannot be broken so that we would have faith and assurance of hope to possess the promise. Hallelujah. So every time you receive communion, every time you hold those elements in your hand, that is the assurance that you hold in your hand, that everything the Lord has declared to us, everything bit of that is sealed in an oath and a promise and sealed in his blood. Glory to God. You see, I've been reading and studying the book of Hebrews again and reflecting on the covenant we have with God. We've been studying and breaking down covenant from different angles. But we have this amazing covenant with God through Christ. It is a marvelous letter declaring to the Jewish Hebrew believers the surety of the priestly ministry of Christ. See, what's hard for them to believe is they believed in the Old Testament and the law and the prophets as we read about, but the, the priesthood of Aaron and, and all the legalism around that. But then to see that there is a higher priesthood and there is a new priesthood and there is a priest who does not pass away and there is an eternal priesthood. And it's not just man for man, but it is God for man. 
want to come. Amen. So it's a marvelous letter, but think about it. To bring them into a greater understanding of who he is to them and for them as their covenant redeemer. Israel believes that there is a covenant redeemer coming. And the apostle writing the letter to the Hebrews is letting them know that their redeemer has already come. What's interesting is that there are three oaths mentioned in the Hebrew letter. The first one is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. It is an oath where God swore, I have sworn and declared that unbelievers, those who turn back and go away, they will not enter into my rest. Amen. Secondly, there is an oath to those who follow Abraham, that he swore to Abraham that after he had endured he received the promise and the oath of Abraham to inherit the promise by faith we have the same promise upon our life to inherit the promise of Abraham amen and then thirdly he made an oath to Christ as high priest and so God has sworn in fact if you have your Bibles go with me to Hebrews chapter 7 and let's just look at it for ourselves are you doing okay this morning amen Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 20, Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said, The Lord has sworn and will not relent or turn back. You are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Amen. So by much more, Jesus has become, watch this, surety of a what? better covenant so when we're remembering and we're having communion what we're remembering today the significance that's why i said so many times and 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 i really am repenting in a way because many times we'll just kind of throw communion in right after the offering announcement or we'll throw it in at the end of the service instead of stopping and remembering what we are partaking of the holiness and the sacredness of this because there's even an area where Paul says when he writes to the Corinthian church that they had gone so far amiss in their understanding of partaking of the Lord's Supper together that they had turned it into a drunken brawl. He says, you guys are getting drunk. You're gudging yourself. You're cutting people out of line. Look like a church potluck. The people that didn't bring anything are the first people in line and take everything. The 80-20 rule works in potlucks as well. Amen. 20% of the people eat 80% of the food. Amen. 20% bring it, 80% eat it. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That won't be so for cookies on Christmas Eve. Amen. Hallelujah. We'll get cookies here. Glory to God. Amen. But watch this. So Jesus is the surety of a better covenant. But watch this. Because he has an everlasting priesthood, not chosen by his will, but chosen and appointed by God the Father with an oath, to have a priesthood which never passes away, we can have great hope and assurance of faith in him and the sacrifice he has ministered before the Father on our behalf. Look there in Hebrews chapter 7 and watch this. Begin with me. As we read there. But what, look over at chapter 8. Well, no, let me just go to chapter, verse 23 in chapter 7. 
chapter 7, verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues what? Forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to what? Save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those priests do, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he died once for all, when he offered up what? Himself. For the law appoints as high priests men to men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the law, this is so powerful, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Right now, you have a high priest in heaven, a perfected high priest. Amen. And everything we do, Hebrews chapter 3 tells us, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Every act you do in obedience to God's word, every confession you make in agreement with God's word, you are offering, you are giving him something to offer the Father on your behalf. Look at chapter 8. Watch this. Verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. The writer here has spent... Excuse me, excessive time from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7 explaining the ministry of Jesus as the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is the main point of which we are saying we have such a high priest. There's the 11th time that Jesus is called a high priest in this letter who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heaven. Now, watch this a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, not man. So when God said to Moses, Moses, build me a tabernacle, you're going to build it after the pattern that I show you according to what is in heaven. Amen. So there's an outer court, there's an inner court, and then there's the holy of holies where the presence of God abides. And Jesus goes into that holy of holies, and we sang it uh, on the mercy seat, seated on the mercy seat. But Jesus walks in there, not with some goat, the blood of a goat or a lamb or anything else, but with his own blood and pours that on the mercy seat before God as your high priest in atonement for your sins. Glory to God. Amen. But look at verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. And I ask you this. What do you give in your walk, in your life, in your confession, and your living, and your giving, and your serving? What are you giving him to offer the Father as your high priest on your behalf? Amen. So every act of obedience, every step I take, I want Jesus never to be empty-handed when he goes to the Father on my behalf. Amen? I want him to have something to offer. Hey, Father, look, look, this is on behalf of Don. Look at how he loves you. Look at what he's given. He's offering up his life. He's loving you. He's giving. He's serving. He sacrifices for you. He's living a life and trying to live that life that is pleasing unto you. Give him something to worship the Father with on your behalf. Amen? Think about it in the natural. Every high priest in the, in, in, the, in, in, in the natural Old Testament 
the, the, the men, when they would offer those up, they could only give what the people brought. You had to bring the sacrifice, and then the priest received it and ministered it to the Father on your behalf. We do the same. Jesus is doing the same to us. And so I always get challenged when I read that. Am I giving him something to offer on my behalf? Think about it. So 18 times he's referenced as our high priest and mediator of the new covenant. So again, what sacrifice does he bring on our behalf? before the Father into the Holy of Holies. But he went in there with his own body and his blood, first on our behalf. And now he's ministering as your high priest on your behalf. See, in chapter 3, verse 1, I've already hit on this. We're called to consider him who is the apostle and high priest of our confession. I like what W.H. Thomas says. He said this, When we consider Christ as such, the apostle and high priest of our confession, our minds being consecrated, concentrated upon him, the contemplation will inevitably lead to conduct and action. When I see him and I consecrate on him as my apostle and my high priest, that contemplation, that meditation upon him will move me into action. And if our soul is occupied with Christ in such a way and he is given his rightful place, everything else will follow in proper order in our lives. Think about that. What, what is Thomas trying to say there? He's saying when you get Christ in his rightful place and you keep him there in his rightful place in your life, everything else lines up. Amen? Everything else lines up. <coughs> the characteristic of Christianity is really the place we assign Christ. How I many know Christianity, there's all kinds of different sects, denominations, and views, and everything else. They all have a different place of what they assign to him, what station he has given. So the question comes down to us individually. What place is he assigned to in your life? What station, what position have you assigned him to in your life? Some of us are like kids. We only call him when we need help. Some parents with grown-up kids, they, they, don't call, they, they don't always call to see how you're doing. They call to say, hey, could you help me with this? Amen? Why don't you just call and say, hey, how's it going? Doing all right? What you been up to? Amen. Justin and Becca? Amen. Enjoy these moments. Amen. So watch this. But we do that. So what, who is, or another one, let me just say, who is Christ to you? See, that's it. You need to personally answer that question for yourself. Who is he to you? What did Jesus say to his disciples? Who do men say that I am? And many times that will we respond. We've listened to this person. We've listened to that person. We've listened to this. we listened to that. Today, you, you just have a, just a multitude of voices that you can listen to. You have voices with you nonstop today. 
Our phones have given us the, the way to have voices upon voices upon voices upon voices upon voices in our life. And people are, oh, I heard a new voice. I heard a new voice. I heard a new voice. And you listen to all these voices. But when's the time you shut all that off and just listen to his voice? Amen. Say, God, I need to hear your voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. But see, if I don't hear his voice, if I don't open my heart to receive a revelation of who he is to me, then I'll be like the disciple, and I'll be saying, well, some say you're this, some say you're that. Well, this preacher said this, this preacher said that, that podcast says this, this thing said that, this reel said that, this TikTok said that, blah, 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 blah. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is to you? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so you have to be able to say who he is to you. Secondly, when you consider him, what position does he hold? Well, he's my Savior. But he's more than that right now. He's your high priest. And I have to acknowledge him as who he is in my life today. And am I honoring him? And am I receiving him as my high priest? And am I giving him anything to worship the Father with on my behalf? Thirdly, without being given his rightful place in our hearts and lives, we rob ourselves of his ability to perform his word on our behalf. You know, it's interesting in Malachi chapter 3, God says this, return to me. <clears throat> and I'll return to you. And then the people says, how shall we return to you? And the Lord says, in tithes and offering, you have robbed me of tithes and offering. You can't rob God of money. But listen to what God said. When you bring all the tithes into my storehouse, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. He says, by not honoring me and acknowledging me, you've robbed me of being who I want to be in your life. You take away, you rob me of the, I need you. God made his word away in such that if we do, he does. But if I don't, he can't. And so we keep expecting him to do when we haven't done. That's why it's called obedience. That's why the Bible says don't be hearers, but be doers of the word. So any area that, that I'm not doing the word, that I'm not obeying the word, then God can't respond in that area. So look at your outline. That's why I put it in here. Jesus asked the man with the demon-possessed son, do you believe that I am able to do this? In Nazareth, it was said that he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief and inability to see him as his, in his rightful place as Savior and Lord. We hear the Lord repeatedly saying, why did why did you doubt? How is it that you have no faith? If you can believe, all things are possible. Says to Jairus, only believe. And he said, do you believe in God? Believe also in me. He was always encouraging them to see him in his rightful place. And so Jesus must be given his rightful place in our lives so that we are not robbing him of his ability to be all he desires to be to us and to do through us. Thomas also said this, I put it in here. He says, whenever we do not believe God's word, the inevitable result is that we doubt his power and his love. What a powerful statement. When we challenge God in his word, well, I don't know if that's true. I don't believe that's for me. I don't know if I believe that's for today. Whenever I then I doubt his power and I doubt his love to perform his word. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come as we prepare now to receive and partake of these simple elements.
that represent our eternal redemption through the life and sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want us to pause and consider what place we've given him in our hearts. I want you to do that this morning. I want everyone in this building, I want everyone watching online, if you're getting ready to have communion with us, what place does Jesus have in your heart? How many have ever heard that saying, words are cheap? It's actions that count. Amen? It's what we do. But really, words aren't cheap. Words are revealers. Words reveal. And if we would listen to ourselves talk, our words would reveal to us what position he holds in our life. I want you to just take a moment, just all around, online, all around. Just pause. And I want you to just consider that. What position does Christ hold in your life? How do you see him today? Have you really received him? We want him to be our savior. We want him to save us, deliver us. But have you received him as Lord of your life? Have you opened the treasure of your heart and life to him? Is your life his as much as his life is yours? It's interesting that we're called the bride of Christ. And in a marriage, the husband and the wife give themselves completely to each other. And what is not given completely of one to the other will always be a dividing wedge in that relationship. In our life with Christ, it's no different. Whatever is not completely given of our life to Him will always be a dividing wedge in our relationship with Him. And then ask yourself, is He worth giving your life to and living your life for? Because in just a moment, you're going to walk down these aisles. Those of you watching online, you're going to join with us. You're going to hold these two simple elements. A cup that represents his blood and this little cracker that represents his body. And you're going to receive those into your body. Symbolizing receiving his life given for you so that God could once again live inside of you as the living bread of life. Jesus said, I'm the bread of heaven. Come down for the from the Father. Those who were in the wilderness ate manna that came down from heaven and they perished. But I'm the living bread and anybody that eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood will never die. Gave us eternal life. And see the declaration in John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 says this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. 
to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But hear that, to as many as received him, to them he became the right to become a child of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank you today. And Lord, today I ask for your forgiveness. For the times that we have too easily passed over. <clears throat> the importance of what we're about to do. That we're about to remember. The broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your son. And that it was given in such a way that we could be made partakers of your life in us again. But Father, today we examine ourselves before you. We ask for your forgiveness and your cleansing over our lives. We repent in any area that needs to be changed. And again, we ask and stand upon your word for forgiveness. But Father, we thank you today and we humbly come before you to receive today in Jesus' name.